from acclaimed Mexican director Alfonso Cuaron. Turn to page 394. Sirius Black has escaped from Azkaban prison. I hope he finds me. Because when he does, I'm going to be ready. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Housekeeping. PG starts Friday, June 4th. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Angela Yoshiko, and you are listening to Old Millennials Remember Movies, and we are here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Extrally pertain abracadabra. Abracadabra. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about a, no- a movie that we like to watch in November, the Harry Potter Movies And in the previous years, we have visited the first two. So year three, here we are visiting the third one. Yeah, but like, listen, if we don't want to do it next year, like you can't hold us. To You're it. not the boss of us yeah. listeners. We're we just, can do what we want. Ha- we've happened to now do it because uh, it's November. So why yeah. not? Although this is the notably uh, one of maybe there's only two of the movies that didn't come out in the fall holiday season this was one of them and maybe the last one didn't come out in the november i thought yeah, that was a summer it was, release it was this one i read that they started on they started going on an 18 month production cycle or yeah. whatever yeah so, so they weren't because they were trying to keep because the kids were aging up see they were trying to keep them young enough so they wouldn't look too old um and so honestly it's not really a problem later because they're kind of just supposed to be older teenagers but you know these middle movies they do have a little bit of a <laughs> a jump in in size and whatnot so that's right. So we will be talking about that later in the episode. Before we go to Harry Potter, we will talk about what we've been watching recently in our segment, What You've Been Watching. That's the segment. That is what it's called. I think and we have, like... Some, like, legit movies to actually it, talk about. But, like, it's, like, four things that we watched together. What? Which is rare for us these days. You really, it, you're watching something, I'm watching something. You mean it's not just going to be you talking about movies and and then that's it because I haven't seen anything? No, and then you're talking about some magic show that you're watching on Netflix. I do like magic shows. Magic, magic, magic. Yeah, the new thing that I'm into, though, is watching foreign TV shows. Mm-hmm. But... People try to tell me that, like, oh, that's a good show. Um, I'm watching dark, the dark in the dark, dark, something like that. What? You're the one watching it. Super good at knowing <laughs> titles and names of things. That's what I'm knowing. I'm for. not watching it. I don't know the title. And it's a German show, and people love it. It's got three seasons, but it's German. And Germans uh, love it. You know what I... else Germans love? David Hasselhoff. And one of my bosses <laughs> was like, uh, "Yeah, it's really good." And I was like, "Oh, how's the?" Did you watch, listen to it dubbed? I have a thing about dubbing. I don't like listening to dubbed versions. I'd rather hear it in its original performance, in its original language, and read the subtitles. Yes, I am. I concur. Um, the only time I do like it, although it's not... I'm always a little bit disappointed. There's, there's a few uh, Jackie Chan DVDs that came out in like the 90s that were dubbed. Like, I mean, they were American releases, and they were dubbed... But, like, Jackie Chan went ahead and, like, did the dubbing for his own dialogue. Oh, okay. But, I mean, always the... Because it's... The languages are so different. Like, yes. it's very different that, you know, what they say can't always be exactly right. You know, it's yes. not... But I always found it very enjoyable when he would do... His uh, English dubbing. <laughs> because it's clearly... Because it's his voice. You're like, that's Jackie Chan. And then it's yeah. like, well, that's not what he said. <laughs> no, it's not what he said. And 
even like good voice actors, I feel like when they're dubbing, it's just really hard to capture the the energy and the breaths and the and the out external. It's like when people re-record stuff, you're like, well, that was a re. AMR is what we call it, right? Like, you can tell when things have been recorded not live. It's just, it doesn't sound natural. The only time that it it's kind of, when they do these animes and they do it in English, um, and so one thing they can, you can kind of cover the, there's, it's not as apparent that the voice is wrong because they can kind of match it, the dialogue enough to make it work, right? Yeah. But even then, I think I was even talking about the last thing was like, weathering with, weathering with you or your name, like, you can tell that it's not like the 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 dialogue being spoken is like that's probably not quite what uh what it was before. It seems like it's an Americanized version or a shortened version or yeah. or some kind of variation on what the actual line was. So you can tell even and when they bring in like actors. Yeah. That, and yeah. it's doubly distracting because I then put subtitles on. So if it's dubbed and you put in the English subtitles, they don't match. Yeah, they put it's a the different uh, different. It's people like the translation right. is the subtitles, but then they yep. get the. It's I don't like it. So anyway, I'm watching the show in German, which um, I'm noticing that when I actually have to like watch watch it, it's taking me a really long time versus other shows that are just like I have on while I'm doing the dishes ha. or, you know, falling asleep. I can, Why did like, you laugh? Because I don't do the dishes. That's you, true. You do most of the dishes. I was going to say, yeah, you don't do the dishes. Yeah. I did the dishes ha. today, though. You did. How many episodes is David Hasselhoff in? Anyway, you're such a jerk. <laughs> Why a jerk? So, just asking. other than that TV show, we actually watched some real movies because there's some film festivals out there. Right. Um... Good, good segue. Thank you. Leading me into to talk about it. You're welcome. So, uh, when uh, the COVID situation's continuing, uh, apparently forever, there's been these film festivals that come out in the fall that uh, have not gone on. They've been doing virtual screenings. So, uh, a few episodes back, I talked about Nomadland that I watched via the New York Film Festival. Uh, I didn't get a press pass, so I didn't watch much else because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I had to pay money and I don't want to do that. Um, but I did, uh, we did get, uh, Middleburg Film Festival, which is Washington, D.C., and they had a few, uh, movies I'd been kind of wanting to see, and it was a little bit cheaper than, uh, New York Film Festival. Yeah. So I was excited about, uh, two titles in particular, and you, uh, happily joined me because it was also a, the New York Film Festival only gave you four hours to watch uh, a yeah, movie. That's pretty intense when we have four kids. Yeah, and, and it was like work. four in the afternoon, um, which was a little bit tough. But this was a 24-hour window, so we could just start it when the kids went to bed, which was nice. And then we watched the other one in the afternoon, maybe when they were... I don't know what they were doing, because we don't always watch our children. <laughs> so we watched uh, Minari. Minari. This is... A- Not a great title. <laughs> it's about, well, the title, it's in the movie, at least. It's explained. It is, but it's, you know. Uh, the director, uh, the name of the director escapes me, but it is a kind of a semi, a semi-autobiographical semi uh, drama about a kid growing up in a family. They've moved uh, to a rural, uh, big, you know, open farm. They're living on like a in Arkansas, m- mobile Oklahoma. home. And they, they're trying to, you know, make it work. They, they work at like a chicken factory, but they, during, you know, during off hours, they're trying to make up their farm work and build this land. Yeah, they work in a chicken factory. Now, this was a fun insight. And they're immigrants, or the parents are, 
Um, yeah, they're first generation. They're first generation, yeah. And the kid, the kids are the maybe little, they're second generation. The little boy is was born here, but yeah. So okay, yeah. They speak in what is it? Is it uh, is Korean? Is that Korean right? American family yep. searches for a better life when they move to a small farm in Arkansas? Okay, Arkansas. That's right. So, um, so then they realize that you know the kids, uh, these the little boy especially can't really be trusted to, you know. Someone needs to watch him, so they bring in like her mom, uh, elderly mom, to come and watch the kid. But she has no. What's great, kind of what's fun about the movie is that I mean, she's just not. She's not a typical grandma, and that she doesn't know what to do with this kid or how to like take care of him. Really, like it's just not. It's been years since she's ever been like nurturing. The mom is an only child, right? And so she hasn't had to play this grandma role and have grandchildren. So you know, she's new to it. Yeah. So um. It's really well made. Um, Stephen Young, who's from The Walking Dead, I think most people know him from, but he's been in appearing in like Burning, which is a really good movie a couple of years ago, and has been uh, steadily kind of doing more things since he left The Walking Dead because God, The Walking Dead just keeps going on and on and on and on. And on. I don't know how that's possible, but then again, here we are. COVID starts to make sense a little bit, doesn't it? You're just like, oh, The Walking Dead goes on forever and COVID goes on forever. Okay, get it. Makes sense. Viruses never end. Got it. Never How did you get end. on this tangent? Nothing. I was just thinking about how The Walking Dead has just been on for like Why years. Why are you talking about Walking Dead? Because Stephen Young, the dad, the person who plays the dad is like, was Glenn or whatever on oh, yeah, The Walking Dead for years. Oh yeah, people lost their mind over that. Okay, we kind of stopped watching Walking Dead. So like, uh, we uh, stopped watching The Walking Dead like season two. That was like yeah. a decade ago. <laughs> What I liked about Minari mm-hmm. um, is it, it felt personal to me um, oh, in, in yeah. a strange way. Um, I'm like fourth generation, yeah, so uh, of an Asian American family. But my grandfather was like a farmer, and that's what he and his family did when they first moved here. Is they got a farm started in. Um, I feel like my family maybe hasn't done a great job of passing down those stories of like how that went and how it started and the struggles because. I don't. I don't know. All I heard was that farming is terrible. It's <laughs> awful. It's hard work, as evidenced by this movie too. <laughs> yeah, it's unreliable. And I imagine that for these immigrant farmers, I mean, farmers today they get a lot of government subsidies, and you know, like if stuff goes bad, they can survive. But when you're a new farmer, if you have, if you're relying on one crop and you get bad weather, bad anything, mm-hmm. and it goes down, like that's your whole livelihood. Right, so yeah. it was just interesting cuz it just has that immigrant take on it and them starting work at the chicken factory just looking at chicken genitals, baby chick genitals to determine if it's male or female. There's just I feel like it added just some weird details that like mm-hmm. I've never been exposed to. Yeah. It's really good. I don't know if it was uh it's not uh, I don't know, it's really good. It was it's not were you trying to say my that? kind of movie i guess in some really? ways i really liked it i just it, it probably wouldn't be like even even in this weird year in my top 10 it might be like the 11 through 20 maybe i'd see it again and i would think otherwise but i liked it i just was like also it is a familiar story in a lot of ways too so yeah okay. but it's good i mean it was good and i i liked it i just you know I'm glad you liked it seemingly more than me, so I appreciate that. Yeah, and I thought the relationship with the two kids was interesting, and yeah. and the little triumph of the little boy who has like heart problems. I yeah, no, it, there's a lot to like, and I think it, it it's been very well received by pretty much anyone who's seen it. So no, yeah, I'm not. It's you're, like a, it's you're a quieter, less yeah, like, it's quieter, exciting, for sure. 
but you know, it's inter- it is interesting. Which watch. is weird because sometimes I do really like. Uh, I mean, I think the Florida Project it has a similar vibe from a couple years ago, which was absolutely one of my favorite movies of that. That year. movie's got spunk though. A little it's bit, got, yeah. Like, some really. It's pushing this is very. Tr- I would say, while pretty, it's very traditionally made. You know, it's it's a, a very formalist film in a lot of ways. If that makes sense, yeah. It's it, it's not. Um, it, the narrative is straightforward. Yeah, I would say, but it's good. It's a good movie. I liked it. Sometimes just a simple story. And yeah, a simple setting and a. I like how it was set in the past, and there were these like, uh, like just, just obvious racism going on. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess part of it is that, you know, it, it, it feels very similar in tone to me, like, uh, the movie First Cow that came out this year, and I, maybe it's part of me is just, like, kind of lamenting the fact that that movie's been kind of forgotten now, and I'm just like... I haven't seen that movie, Tyler, I can't could, help you there. We could watch it, but, um, yeah, no, is gonna be, like, Oscar buzz and, like, First Cow, which is a movie I really like. It's all set in the past, and it's kind of an immigrant story a little bit, and... Um, I just really like... It's set in a different time period, but I don't know, I'm just, like, I'm kind of mad that that one's, like, being... Forgotten. Kind of forgotten about a little bit, but oh well, not a big deal. It's all about timing. So Minari is not available right now. It will be in quote unquote theaters in December, or probably VOD or however that's going to work. So it will eventually. It at will some get point out. Be available. The other one we watched through Middleburg was One Night in Miami. Yes, and this was directed by. It's a play. Um, that's pretty well known, but, uh, Regina King is the director. It's her directorial debut, fresh off of her, got two years ago winning the Oscar for If Bill Street Could Talk, right? And, uh, she just won, I think she's maybe won a couple Emmys, but she just won again for Watchmen, which we talked about. So it's her, she's directing it, and it is the story of, uh, four icons of the 60s basically coming together uh, in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And it's Muhammad Ali, it's Malcolm X, it's uh, Sam Cooke, right? Yep, and, and Jim Brown. And Jim Brown, football player. And, um, yeah, I really I, I really like this. Um, I think all four performances are really good. People would most recognize Leslie Odom as uh, Sam Cooke from, you know, he's Aaron Burr and Hamilton. But the other guys, Aldous Hodge has been in... Oh, he, he, we just watched him in the, I think he's in The Invisible Man, um, as the, the, the cop, the kind of that's in the movie and he's in Clement, you know, so these guys have been around a little bit and I thought all four of them were really good. Um, Malcolm X was really good. I think that's a tough play. I think all these guys are really tough plays, like maybe not Jim Brown and, and Sam Cooke, maybe because it hasn't been as much like film versions whereas denzel washington played malcolm x to like and it's an iconic performance and then you know will smith did muhammad ali and he was quite good in that and so it's it's tough right and so but i really liked all all four of them i thought the the malcolm x actor is in particular kind of brought something different to it that's Mm -hmm. different than denzel washington wasn't trying to do that which i was really appreciative of i love leslie odom from Hamilton, obviously. Uh, I thought Aldous Hudges, Jim Brown was really good. Muhammad Ali, I, I, the name of the actor escapes me, but um, it's a good uh, performance, but maybe that's the one that, because we just know how Mal- Muhammad Ali t- spoke so much, it, you know. It, Eli Gorey. Yeah, he, he's good, um, but he's kind of more of like the impression, I would guess, you know, I would say of the four. More of an impression, less performance. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, now that you say that I would I would concur. But I think the 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 story is really uh pretty compelling despite it being mostly just four guys talking essentially. 
I like what the movie is able to kind of like escape its room a mm-hmm. lot in, in in natural ways. I think this is tough. I think we talked about this with the boys in the band a couple episodes ago, that yeah. Netflix movie that was based on a play where everybody was stuck in a room. And that's the play, right? And this is a play about four guys essentially in a hotel room. Well, uh, I, I liked how they were able to kind of walk around that a little bit and the way the, the introduction is not them, you know, they're not there. It takes them about 20 minutes to get together. And I just, I, I, I thought there was some strong filmmaking to kind of make it into a movie mm-hmm. above, above that. So, yeah, I really liked it. It it was um, fun, it was really thoughtful. Thoughtful. It it brought up some, uh, you know, obviously things that were, you know, topics about these four men that were definitely applicable to the time. But um, you know, universal uh, struggle, universal uh, ideas that are certainly applicable now. So I I just really liked like that. I enjoyed it a lot. It's super watchable. It's just like it just it breezes along. It doesn't feel like it's a stage show it just yeah I, I really enjoyed it yeah it definitely gives you that like I'm a fly on the wall mm-hmm. so if you like that like voyeuristic like I'm watching these people have a very like intense but natural conversation that bounces around like fun stuff but heavy topics of mm-hmm. you know the pressure of being a celebrity yeah and during a civil rights movement and sure. carrying that on your shoulders but in a way that was like yeah i want to hear this guy's perspective and i want to hear them argue about it and talk about it and fight with each other but then get each other's back and it was yep. interesting i really liked it so that's an that's an, an oscar player amazon owns it it will be put in theaters quote unquote in december but i think it also will be on amazon prime either late december or right into January, I think. So it will be available to easily watch soon yeah. enough. So that's what's good about that. Yeah. So that's that. Mm-hmm. And then we watched a couple other um, pretty high-profile streaming releases, mm-hmm. uh, both featuring Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm-hmm. One was on Amazon Prime. The other one is on Netflix. Netflix's The Trial of the Chicago 7 is kind of one of their big... Uh, awards players that's this and david the david fincher movie they have that they're really pushing um the trial of chicago seven is written and directed by aaron sorkin whom you know the west wing but also um you know moneyball and the steve jobs movie the social network so so question when did when did aaron sorkin write this do you think what do you mean when did he write this screenplay I don't know, a couple years ago? Yeah, so he wrote it a couple years ago, and <laughs> yeah. it's about the trial of the Chicago 7. Which is in the 60s again. And, and, yeah. Yeah, about, a, you know, these guys are on trial. You know, you look up the history of it. Obviously, these guys are on trial for a protest that turned into a riot, and the government, uh, which was led by the opposite party, decided they wanted to make an example of them and decide that they were in collusion with each other and therefore a conspiracy and therefore subject to significant like prison time yeah and but of course they didn't really know each other it wasn't really planned it was kind of this accidental thing that happened it may have been sparked by uh police (laughs) act you know activity etc etc so yeah it is um you know a fact-based story set uh decades prior and yet um, feels very urgent and alert and alive of the time, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you wrote it a couple of years ago. Yeah, true story based on decades ago, but super relevant to like right now. I so sus- the timing is. I mean, I, I suspect that he might be maybe wrote it or wanted to push the project. I mean, maybe it's something that's been stewing for a while, but 
you know, you think about like Charlotte, uh, you know, the, the yeah. 2017 incidents with the white nationalists and stuff like that. You start looking at some of that and some of the unrest. And yeah, it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily, uh, Black Lives Matter has been around, obviously. But yes, I mean, this is, this is stuff that's been happening. It just happens to have been very, Super very yeah. strong right now. Uh, what did you think of the movie? It is very, um, it's almost set exclusively in the courtroom, mm-hmm. and it just kind of throws you into what happened, and then it kind of it, it uses flashbacks to kind of fill in the actual event. But for the most part, it's just like in the middle of this trial. I I thought the casting was great. Mm-hmm. Good cast. Mark Rylance is there. Mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the opposing uh, prosecutor. Sasha Baron Cohen, which I struggle with because it's like. He's being the prosecutor who's really, like, the bad guy, but he's not really the bad guy. He's just doing his job. But I don't like watching JGL be, like, a bad guy. He doesn't... Yeah, and it, he doesn't play it... Um, he plays it kind of, like, in the middle a little he bit. He does. He plays it very He's neutral. got a little mini It's like arc. he can't not, right. you know? Whereas I feel like if it was cast by someone else or directed by someone else, they'd make him, like, an annoying antagonist yeah. but really in this movie it was like the judge was the yeah frank langella plays the judge he's just like uh yeah he's horrible <laughs> obviously has political thoughts about it and it's, and he's just senile and that's an yeah. issue i love movies like this because then it's like mm-hmm. I, it sparks me and gets me excited about something i wouldn't know about probably really. yeah um it predates us yeah and it gets me excited about it makes me like oh my god is this true and what parts of it are true and I, what's been embellished and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah even if it's not all accurate it mm-hmm. just gets me excited about something i wouldn't have known about and so i think aaron sorkin is such a good writer that a lot of times i was questioning like is that his writing or is that like pulled from court transcripts yeah you know and here's the thing i've read so it's gotten very good reviews um but it also has gotten some marks of like Oh, it's feel good. You know, it's this, uh, you know, quote unquote, like liberal, you know, jizzy, like feel good well, about your liberal jizzy feel good. Well, yeah. About you know, your... just like, Oh, it's okay. Like, you know, liberalism. Right. And it's just like the Aaron Sorkin. I think it's kind of that liberal, sorry, the liberal idealism of the West Winger right a little bit. Right. Okay. And I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think that. Listen, Aaron Sorkin as a as a TV writer has stumbled, I think, in the years after The West Wing. I can point to some uh, examples. Studio 60 on the Sunset <laughs> Strip is a, a, a just a, just a freaking dumpster fire of a show that's like yes. sometimes good and sometimes horrible. That's mostly terrible. Same with The Newsroom, which was a show that like had flashes of having something to say but was just very preachy and and clunky. Mm-hmm. Um his screenwriting work, I feel like has always been much more restrained and sharp. And I think this continues in that pattern. Maybe, you know, I don't think it's as snappy as, say, The Social Network. Mm -hmm. But that's a different kind of thing. Like, I just feel like there was... That's David... You know, that's a that movie is... is, There's a a style there that that he didn't direct that movie to. That that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Or Moneyball, which is a little bit... I I think Moneyball is a good comparison to this. Because it is... Like, Moneyball is... There's some romanticized elements of it. But it's, it's mostly just, like, making something that's like statistics and baseball interesting and i think yeah. that that's good and i think that he kind of dialogue leans into um court procedural like but not like flashy arguments it's just like a lot of like rote procedure things that are going on in here like even like the big i mean this kind of is a spoiler but even like the big testimony 
like Michael Keaton comes in for a couple scenes, right? And this is a big testimony scene. Well, that kind of actually gets deflated in a way. Yeah. And that doesn't even even play out how you expect. It kind of plays out like like probably how the court case piled up. And there's some dramatic moments that are, you know, move, movie-fied or whatever, but mm-hmm. um I don't know. I just thought it I didn't I didn't find it to be particularly like idealistic or or, or wrong-headed in, in that regard. I thought it was pretty played pretty close to the just being a procedural and maybe that could be dry for people but i found it to be interesting anyway and the performances were good yeah could you oh go ahead i think that sometimes in a movie like this when there's a character who's just super annoying it makes me want to like not watch the movie and the judge in this movie i think could fall into that category but it didn't for some somehow it did not cross that line for me i think it was because it was so well balanced by all the other characters he's a good actor too frank langella is not gonna not going to steer yeah, it too like wrong. Yeah, like he pulled it off. And I yeah, think that's a really hard thing to do. Having watched a lot of, mo- like, Boston Legal episodes. He's an interesting actor. He, he just can make choices that are just kind of, like, compelling, even if he's kind of bad, I guess. Yeah. So I like that. What did you think about, was there a standout, because uh, um, uh, it, it's odd, we'll, we'll segue here, but I did feel that Sasha Baron Cohen was actually quite good in this. He's a great actor. I, yeah, I think which, so. yeah, I just, I thought it was a good match for him because he is playing kind of a more outspoken Comedic person. He's character. He's butting heads with the Eddie Redmayne character who, Eddie Redmayne, an actor I don't normally like, he's fine in it. His, you know, he's fine in it. <laughs> I think he's cast well because he's kind of like the um, know-it-all goody, goody guy. I don't know what the voice he's doing and it, it, it's not like... <laughs> This is what I'm talking about. Just in the last episode, yeah. You no, were saying, I know you're going to bring this up. You were saying how accents don't bother you, but in this one, you complain. No, about it's it. not an accent thing. I know he's British, and so it's not so much like that. It's an American accent. I just don't know what the voice he's doing is. He's just doing. It's a just voice. doing a thing, and I don't know what it is. I don't think it's inconsistent necessarily. I just think it's like this choice that he's it doing. It distracted you, and maybe that's what he's the guy sounded like. I'm not sure, but. That actor distracts you in general. He just has a punchable face. That's so, all. <laughs> I think for for you it was um, escalated to more than other viewers would. He's notice. got a punchable face. You see his face and you just want to punch it. That's all. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't even like to punch things. But that guy, I just want to punch him. I don't know what it is. Oh, Tyler. <laughs> what? That's he also terrible. won an Oscar for like ugh, not a great. I didn't think a very good performance, but whatever. Um, no, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was a standout. I like Mark Rylance a lot too. He's the kind of the the, lo- the older lawyer. Yeah. Um. So there's it's a it's a really well rounded cast. But anyway, Sasha Baron Cohen was you know playing a, a like a real character in that, and then of course uh, we got Borat's subsequent movie film where he returns to Borat form. Yes. And uh, yeah, listen, I don't know. It's weird because Borat went through this period where. When it first came out, obviously, I, I thought it was really funny, and I also thought it was just kind of, like, an important, like, ex- exposure of, like, what America really is, right? A little bit. I just, that stuff really worked, right? And then, like, the frat guys really hooked on to the My Wife and the Very Nice for a few years, and it kind of burned all of Borat away, right? We just couldn't yeah. do, we couldn't think I about think, Borat for a while. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think people forgot what Borat was. Mm-hmm. They focused on the extreme caricature and of him running character. naked through the... Yeah, <laughs> the, the the fringe stuff that he throws in there and yeah. kind of forgot, like, what was the message of that movie? What was that movie actually about? Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of that. I sort of forgot that it was yeah. about... Like, well, and Borat, but it's still a very funny movie. Yes. So, I mean, I think the, the comedy 
And that's what's interesting because I think the in Borat's subsequent movie film, which I like the title quite mm-hmm. a bit, including the extended title that changes several times for the movie. Um, I think the movie is more successful at being funny than it is about exposure. And yeah. but I don't think it's the movie's fault. I just think that we've like. Like, the fact that there's a bunch of racists out there is just, like, mm, not very surprising anymore. Yeah, it's not <laughs> shocking. No. I mean, they're, we they're see it every day. now. We see it every day. So, yeah, uh, yeah no, I don't I don't know if um, that is anything. I'm not really... I mean, the movie kind of culminates in this Rudy Giuliani thing, which is, I I don't know, to me, was... I, 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 you, you, you told me nothing I didn't already kind of think. So, I'm just like, eh. You know, uh, it wasn't, like, a hilarious climax, is all I'm saying. It wasn't hilarious. It wasn't that shocking. It wasn't like, oh, gotcha. It wasn't any of those things. It was a little disappointing. A little bit. That part. Because that was played up in the media right before it came out, right? Now, that being said, um, it is a movie where you're being, like, afterwards, I was just like, well, no, we gotta look this up. Like, that person was an actor. And then you look it up and it's like, nope, they weren't actors. <laughs> or, well, how did he do this? Is that This was clearly a stage. And you look it up and it's like, nope, that wasn't the stage. He went and did this. And it's just like, oh my god. And then a little bit of that impact comes back. Because he, like, embeds with these guys who are, uh, you know, Pizzagate type people. And, he, and he's with them for several days and you're just thinking, like, well, these guys can't be. How would, how does it, how do they not know what this is, right? But yeah. no, apparently, like, that's what it is. And it's like, oh, okay, well, there you go. That's that's where we live. <laughs> that's America. Um, yeah. The actress who plays his daughter, because the the thing about the movie is that I'll, you know people know what he looks like as Borat, so he mm-hmm. has to disguise himself. He's he's always playing Borat, but he's like wearing other disguises. Yeah, I think it was pretty funny. But then he also sends this other actress to do some of these other things. God, she's really good. It, 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 Maria Bakalova. She's amazing. Um, I think she. Should, I think Sasha Baron Cohen's been pushing for her to be an Oscar nominee. I agree. Because I think that what she does is, like, okay, it's we know that Sasha Baron Cohen has been doing this for years. Like, he's able to go incognito and risk, you know, certain aspects of his life to get stunt. You know, he's a stunt comedian in, you know, in a lot of ways. He's a stunt performer. Whereas this is just someone who's never done it before, who's being thrown into it and also, you know, going through a pretty significant arc in the movie, having its storyline with the Borat character, but then also having to be in the middle of a lot of these big <laughs> moments, right? Yeah, it's a heavy lift for a new actress. She, it, I think she's amazing. She's convincing the whole time. She's very funny. Um, I, yeah, I think she's just a, a real standout. And I, I, yeah. I think there's a lot to like in it. Is it as good or as fresh as the first Borat? No, I don't think it was gonna ever have a chance to be. But yeah, I don't know. It felt like a real. It felt like a, it, it, this is a weird thing this year. There's not a lot of movies that like feel like like normal movies. What? I mean, there's a lot of movies that come out right, but like Borat, that would have been like a theater movie. Like they, Amazon paid eighty million dollars for it, yeah. and so when that comes out, you're just like, "Oh, this was like a this was like a movie that was going to go into a theater. This was like <laughs> a big budget movie, and we didn't like see Tenant, so it's just like that's this was the thing. So you know, uh, yeah, we got a movie. I when Disney puts out Soul, the Pixar movie, I'm like, this is a movie. <laughs> That's a weird commentary. <laughs> I like, and you, you know me, I like the small, I'll have a list of movies that, of the top ten every year that's usually more of the small ones, right? Yeah. But I still need my 
I need my feeding of uh, these things that are meant for the theater. Yeah, some blockbuster. I'm meant to, you know, I need to know what this stuff is, you know, so that I can also, so I can be a little bit of a snob and be like, hmm, I don't like that stuff. I like this artsy stuff. (laughs) But then also kind of like that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so that's what we've been watching recently. We watched Minari, One Night in Miami, Trial of Chicago 7, and Borat, subsequent movie films. Those last two are now easily available. The other two will be coming soon. Okay. Okay. So that's that. Now we're going to move into Harry Potter. It's an easy transition from Borat to Harry Potter. I mean, definitely. So we're talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the third installment of the... Harry Potter series. Yes. Let's jump in with some high stats. Great. Get us going. So this movie was released, as you heard in the trailer in the beginning of the episode, on June 4th, 2004. Making this, the uh, in all of our episodes, the latest, most recent movie we've ever done as yes. a featured thing. Yes. Whoa. We usually, usually capped it at the first year as 2002, then we stretched it to kind of 2003, and here we are. We're doing a 2004 movie. We're getting old is what that's saying. That was 16, Still 16 years 16 years ago. ago ish and more yeah so there you go we're getting old oh, it is rated pg mm-hmm. it clocks in at two hours and 22 minutes yeah it's a harry potter movie it's long yeah, all of them are long i like it because you want i want to spend as much time in this world as i can stand in one sitting well just you wanted to probably all the books to be split into two movies like that last one didn't you Well, I mean, it's a fine line, right? So I want more, but I want it to be just the right amount. I want that Goldilocks length where you're telling the story, but you're not just, like, wasting time. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I... Well, we can get into that later. Like, the the longest book, I think, is Order of the Phoenix, and that is the movie that is widely considered to be kind of maybe the weakest movies of, like, after the first two. But I kind of like that one. (laughs) So I'm just, like... I'm, I don't know. I don't have the... You're a strange character. And I've read the book, so I don't know if... I, I don't. It's not a purist thing, because I know that there's a lot of that movie that... Order of the Things, like a bunch of that book gets cut out for that movie. And I think yeah. that's why people get frustrated. But for whatever reason, I'm just like, eh. You're like, yeah, that works. <laughs> works fine with me. The estimated budget for this movie was $130 million. Sure. I mean, yeah. That's a lot of money. It, well, it was going to make the money, so it's it fine. It made 250 in the U.S. and then gross worldwide almost $800 million. Okay. Yeah. And obviously continued to make more and more. A very successful franchise. Uh, yeah. No. That's high stats. That's high stats. Uh, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Most of the cast, of course, returns. The new additions are, well, Richard Harris died after the second movie was finished. Uh, Chamber of Secrets, he's been replaced uh, he played Dumbledore. It's Michael Gambon who plays him here and continues for the rest of the series. And uh, and this is something that I, I kind of appreciated when he took it over. It's a very different performance. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not... He he brought his own flavor to it, Richard. Sure. I mean, Richard Harris was obviously old, <laughs> and so that played into that a little bit. But And I think it is important for what, you know, the character has to go through in subsequent uh, films and stories. But he's more energetic. He's a bit more kind of light-footed. He just he's moves around a little bit more. He's got more energy. Um, there's more of the uh, trickster uh, angle a little bit to him, I mm-hmm. think. It especially comes through in this movie because he kind of like sends them on a wink-wink little adventure, you know? Yeah. So I I really like what Michael Gambon... I, I liked Richard Harris, obviously, but I like that this was... And it was a trend... I remember when this came out and I was like, well, this new Dumbledore is really yeah, hopping around, isn't know, he? I don't know about this new Dumbledore. I think it was a, a good choice. 
and a, a, a smart um, a smart change. Hold on, something just crashed in our house, so let's pause for a second. And we're back. And that was only a second for you people listening. But you know what? Tyler, you, and our seven-year-old son are really obsessed with fucking ice in the in the ice dispenser in our freezer refrigerator and it's obnoxious so what's funny is that at the age of 36 when you're recording a podcast at 10 45 at night and you hear hear a crash in the house it's spooky and a little bit scary and then i was like mm, that's a fucking ice falling out of the machine that's a long way to go to make fun of me for putting ice in a cup it's not that you just put ice in the cup. It's that the, there's so much production and drama about the ice in the house. Why? I'm not sucking on the ice like the kid does all the time. It's like gross. the kid? Is yeah. that what we're calling our children now? Yeah. You know, I used to have an uncle that we'd go visit him in California, and I swear to God, we'd stay with him for like a week. And it would just be like me and one aunt. So it's just one kid he's got to remember the name. He would never learn our names. He'd always be like, oh, tell the kid. He'd always yeah, call tell us the, the kid. kid. Where's the kid at? Hmm. Anyway, that's what that made me think of. <laughs> Random memory. Good stuff. Okay, so we're talking about Dumbledore. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I like Michael Gambon in it. The, he's a, a change. Uh, the new additions, obviously, are the the titular Prisoner of Azkaban is Sirius Black. That's played by Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's seemingly set up. I mean, everybody knows the plot of these movies. He's seemingly set up you know as a okay. villain, but it's he's funny not. that you say everyone knows the plot of these movies, mm. but there's so much. It's hard to remember. Which one is which, and what happens in which one? Right. Well, so, it's yeah. Sirius Black who has been uh, essentially framed for, you know, ratting the the Potters to Dumbledore, and Dumbledore killed the parents, right? So that he was put in prison for that. But we, of course, know that he's Harry's Dumbled- godfather. You just said Dumbledore killed the parents. Voldemort, he who, he who shall not Yikes. be named. Well, whatever. Snape killed Dumbledore. Dumbledore kills Voldemort. Whatever. <laughs> So many characters, right? Uh, Lupin is introduced here. That's uh, uh, actor uh, Rufus Sewell, right? Sure. Tell me, that's right. You're looking at the screen. You know what? The cast list is so long. Well, it, right, because it doesn't it's, have it in or it has it in a word. It's order all here. the established folks, but then we're also introducing more people. I can't remember if this is Emma Thompson's first appearance. It is. Okay, as Trelawney, a professor, and she only really kind of pops in. In very small doses after this. This is really the only movie yeah. that she's heavily I like featured. Yeah, it's great. I mean, she, it's not a big part even in this, but I mean. She's so goofy. And then all the, you know, the normal, uh, you know, your your Daniel Radcliffe's, your Emma Watson's, your Rupert Grint's, your uh, Maggie Smith's, your great R.I.P. Alan Rickman, uh, you know. Sad. Robbie Coltrane, Hagrid, you know, all, all the crew's back. Um, except for who I didn't mention. I don't know. What... Di- so, what, what are do you your want to talk about today? Well, um, a few things. Alfonso Cuaron is the big change here. Mm-hmm. So Chris Columbus directed the first two movies. They opt to go with uh, Cuaron, who at the time was, you know, a very still, I mean, at that time, and a very acclaimed director, um, after this would go on to win, you know, Oscars for Gravity, Oscars for Roma. Um, you know, he's an incredible filmmaker. And it brought – it's weird because these movies have already always had this incredible British cast of all these actors that they were able to bring in as these teachers and, the you know, these characters. And yet, you know, I think that the first two movies were still kind of regarded as a kid movie. And I think they were very intentional about, like, okay, we're going to bring in Alfonso Cuaron 
and we're going to make... Three, just hold on. Who mm-hmm. three years prior mm-hmm. had done my favorite movie of that year, Ichumama Tambien. Which is a very good movie. movie. Yeah. I don't want to revisit it. But it wasn't I, your jam then. I've freaking hated it <laughs> so much. Yeah. I am curious. We do need to put that on the list to revisit. Yeah. But like, that's a weird, that's a weird movie to go from. Is that the ne- is that his next yeah. movie? Oh, okay. Because yeah. he made Children of Men after this, then, right? Yeah, that was two thousand six. Oh, Children wow. Of Men. Okay, yeah. So I mean, but yeah, he was. I mean, he got a ton of acclaim for that, though. So they definitely it was very intentional. They wanted to bring in someone who could bring a, a certain style, a certain level of prestige, kind of like you know get the attention of like the critics and adults and be like hey we're Harry, we're listen this is our huge franchise this is something you should uh, look at and do, what do you what do you notice about kind of the difference uh, what what do you think he brings to it some darkness well yeah and i think the story caters to that because all of these movies and the stories themselves get darker as they go along as the kids get older the danger gets escalated yeah i mean you're better at probably describing director impacts but it definitely because it's hard for me to be like well that's due to the maturity of the story is due to the writing of the story versus his director influence and still steve cloves wrote you know this script i think he wrote most of them right um so that's that's still intact you know the again the cast is intact i i mean i think there's there's some compositional choices that are better oh Um, there's one thing i can talk about that i read about um, one thing he wanted to do as a director was let the kids wear more of their everyday clothes mm-hmm. to show more of their personality. And then he also directed the other students to just like wear their, their school uniforms kind of like however they wanted. So if you walk, and I actually did notice this. Mm-hmm. I read this today, but I noticed it as we were watching. I did notice them wearing like Harry Potter and Hermione just wearing like cash clothes, not like their uniform. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's unusual. I noted it. And then, so tiny little things like that, I think, are interesting. If I think he brings maybe a little bit more lived-in uh, aspect to it, I, which I think is good. I mean, it's still a very you know magical world, obviously, and you can't obviously that's going to be a major factor here. But you're right. I mean, things like that just kind of make it small details. The characters feel like they're living in an actual place, and there's there's a whole world going on that we're not necessarily always watching, mm-hmm. right? I like that this movie kind of, and you know, part of this is the story, but it's it, and to the point where our daughter was, our oldest daughter, who was really the only kid in our family that ended up watching the whole thing, and we can talk about that, but, um, you know, she noted, she was like, oh, they're not going to do the train station. Like, they got on the train before they did the train station. Yeah. I was like, this movie, like, makes choices to be like, okay, we don't need to do the beats. Like, yep. we, we've established this world, we don't need to do this thing, we... We have a scene with the Dursleys, but it kind of goes in a much, you know... It, and again, that's the story. He, he's not being abused so much by the Dursleys. He's now, you know, being the one that shoots his aunt out, the, you know, turns her into yes. a giant blueberry, essentially, and sends her off into the sky, essentially murdering her. Luckily, she didn't die. Like, what? I like how they're just like... Everybody's just like, yeah, he's super worried about getting in trouble. As he should be. Like, he's sent a human. He's not supposed to use any magic outside of school. And then he shoots her out the window... Like she, she's just gonna float on forever. She's eventually gonna get die, like, <laughs> right? She's gonna run into something, or she's gonna deflate, and she's gonna die. Yeah. So Harry Potter's murdered her, right? Yep, Unless definitely. someone else comes and intervenes, and they do. And it's like he's worried about being in trouble. And then they're just like the Minister of Magic or whatever comes around, and everybody's like, "Yeah, I mean that wasn't great, but ah, ah. kids will be kids." Yeah. 
which I thought was odd. But no, I like that it, you know, you get a brief introduction from, from Dumbledore when they get there, but it's all about like a warning. Things are changing. These are darker. We're worried about this. Serious Black's on the loose. Like the world is getting different and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel compelled to give us those same scenes again because we've already had them. And it lets you open up the world. You get to see more of, you know, you get to see Trelawney. You get to see other aspects, uh, even like different parts of the castle and different parts of the grounds. I love how when they walk down to Hagrid's hut, like they've got these great sequences on these hillsides. Mm -hmm. And it's little stuff like that. It just looks great. Like it's just these backdrops with like the castle behind it. There's just like this, there's this, it's a bigger world, even though they're, I just, I like that about it. I like that it's kind of opened up and the composition like the the film the actual like uh cinematography even just feels more compelling to me so i I like that there's that energy to it i will share a fun story i just read about the director yeah um so apparently this is an indie wire uh, article apparently alfonso cuarn didn't want to direct harry potter Mm -hmm. until guillermo guillermo del toro called him an arrogant bastard and changed his mind so he was sitting there and he shared this with uh someone who was interviewing him he was sitting there telling guillermo like oh i guess you know oh they were like oh what projects do you have going on and he's like oh you too mama tummy and they want me to do this like harry potter movies like i haven't even read any of these books like who cares about this (laughs) and then guillermo del toro just unloads on him like you fucking idiot you're so stupid you're gonna go get the books you're gonna read them and then uh he said, Alfonso says, like, oh, so I go and get the books, and he's like, this is really good, like, <laughs> material. And he's like, yeah, of course it is. Guillermo del Toro would, be, would be an amazing Harry Potter director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I like that. Um, what, you know, what else? I think that, uh, whoa, the, I mean, the big, we, we chose to watch this on Halloween, because we're, you know, we've got little kids, but we don't. Yeah, you know, we don't want to watch the same. I don't know. I don't want to watch Hocus Pocus. Sorry, but um, watch yourself. <laughs> That's that will enrage people. I know. I know. The I know. People love that. You know. I know, but um, I just remember. You know, the thing I remember about this particular movie is that the Dementors come in, and that's kind of scary. They're terrifying. And there's some pretty great sequences that are staged well, and I think Corona is really well suited for it, especially the kind of the first introduction of them. Uh, when they're on the train, like the icing over of the windows, and then they kind of slowly appear. It's a shorter sequence than I remember that yeah. one. Um, he Harry Potter faints pretty quickly. <laughs> he does, but um, it's still really effective, and it, it just sets kind of a different tone for this. It's it's still magical, but there's danger. There's it's a, there's a scary element to it that I think has not been there. Well, I mean, it's been dangerous this whole time with Voldemort. I mean, that's the whole point of the book. But this yeah, but that's is... a big bad that's almost abstract, whereas... Yeah, he shows up randomly in some weird form. Whereas this is like, okay, this is an there's, a pri- there's, a, there's an apparent murderer on the loose looking for you, Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, he's deliberately looking for you. He's mad at you. Uh, there's he's dementors. You. There's dementors who are looking for Sirius Black. But, oh, by the way, like, I just love... Like, this is the detail the that I love. They're yeah. just like, yeah, listen. Dumbledore so the, here. The Dumbledore, they're not the Dumbledore. The, the Dementors are, they're going to just be patrolling the, they're not, they're not on the grounds, but they're just going to be out there and listen. And, you know, they're here to get Sirius Black, but listen, they are vicious creatures. Like, yeah. these, they, they, nobody likes these guys, but they've like somehow like got, recruited them to be in charge of the prison. Like, I don't know how this relationship works because everybody finds them miserable and scary and dangerous but they're just like yeah but you can watch the prisoners well that's i mean they make the perfect prison guards i guess and except they're, for they're, they're very ineffective but they're there to torture the prisoners too 
If they're so good, how does Sirius Black even get down, get there in the first place? Because he's a dog? He's able to sneak past them? These guys aren't that great. They're always going after Harry Potter, it feels like to me. Well, I know, and <laughs> I, I love how casually Dumbledore at the beginning of school is like, so kids, just like, a, you know, like, don't fuck with them because they don't care if you're Sirius Black or you're just in their way. They're going to they're gonna fucking suck your soul and you're going to die. So cool. Have a good year. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the line down because it it's great delivery. You, you um, didn't say, have a good year. They will not distinguish who they hunt and who gets in their way. There yeah. it is. Um, yeah, so there you go. It's very ominous. I, I like it. Um, it's almost weird. Uh, there are some drawbacks to this franchise a little bit in having such a stacked cast. And it it, it you lose people for a little while. Maggie Smith barely in this movie. Oh. Is she even in this? Yeah, movie? she's in a little bit, but not much. I don't think um, so. Snape is not in all that much. He kind of gets some. I mean, when when he's in it, it's great, right? It yes. always is. When he ca- he's uh, when he catches. Uh, oh man, when he Can catches Harry, Harry with the Marauder map. Yeah, he's got the Marauder map, which mm-hmm. is uh, you know the the uh, Weasley kids, the mm-hmm. the Fred and. Yeah. Jimmy, what's the other one's name? Yeah, the Weasley brothers, <laughs> twins. Gives them the map uh, to you know look around and see, and it's a what is this thing? Like, <laughs> uh, it's magical. It's a and map. It's awesome. It's to spy, so you know you where can, people are. Yeah, it's a map that tells you where everybody is at all times, anytime. Yeah, and you can turn it on and off. This is like a vi- I mean, holy shit! These guys have that's a very powerful thing. Which is, it got me, <laughs> it got, I was very distracted by this, because at one point he's like, has the map, but then he like, Harry Potter loses his glasses and he can't see very well when they're fighting the tree or whatever, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this a little bit, it's like, they've got, in this world, they've got a map that can identify where everybody is and you can track every single person, but Harry Potter's got some vision problems. Yeah. <laughs> like, can we magically fix his eyes? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have the, 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 the doctor lady. I don't know. I mean, just, that's, a, that's a good question. We have maps that can track you. Anybody. I mean, she wherever can put, like, are. arms and limbs back on. Even people long thought dead in the form of a little rat. You can, that map knows where that person is. Yeah, should be able to fix an eyeball. I don't know. Just seems vision. like, what are we doing with the glass? I mean, fine. You know, maybe if it, you just had, like, a reading problem, like, it's just like, you got, like you're old. It's old vision, right? Or your, your eyes aren't perfect, but you can kind of manage. But, I mean, Harry Potter, when he loses his glasses, like, oh, you like, he, he's thumbing around everywhere. And he's yeah, like, they, I can't see. Yeah, the camera shows us what he sees, and it's fucking blurry. It's bad. I think those glasses should be thicker, considering, like, They're the magic glasses. Well, those are magic glasses. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I don't know. But I think you're right. They would be pretty, like, bottle thick. Y- yeah. Um, so funny. What a weird detail to talk about. Oh, okay. No. So, anyway, this... I mean, we're not following the plot of this at all, but the the, the great Snape scene, he doesn't have much in this movie, but he... I mean, he kind of appears, like, fake-out Snape. They, like, put him in a dress because it's, like, who you most fear or whatever. Vern Lupin's teaching them shit, right? I don't know. That's confusing. See, if you talk about Harry Potter, like, kind of offhand and casual, none of it makes any sense. Like, no. I don't even know what I just said. You just said that Sirius Black is in a dress. I don't know. <laughs> that <laughs> happened in this movie. He's but, in a dress? But I think it might take me, like, five minutes to explain the context of that, but I don't want to. So <laughs> I'm not going to. to. It's cool. It's cool. Um, no, but, like, so he, he catches Harry when he's, like, wandering through the halls, and he's just, like... In the dead of night. Going for a walk in the moonlight. He just hits his uh his consonants so hard sometimes so and I love good. it. I love I love it so much. Um oh god, I miss Alan Rickman. I know. 
But yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing though about these movies. I mean this one even you know introduces at a time when when Gary Oldman, I especially when this came out, I was like I really like Gary Oldman as an yeah, actor and totally. um it was exciting. And then it's just like well he's only in like the it's last twenty minutes, eight minutes of it, on and screen. then and then that's the thing about these Harry Potter movies. The fourth movie comes out, The Goblet of Fire. Gary Oldman. He's in the fire as a face for two minutes of the movie, and he's not in the movie. And then number five, he's in more of it, but then <laughs> gets killed. Yeah, so it's very disappointing. But then, like you know, Matt, all these actors—they don't. Dumbledore obviously isn't a lot, and but then, of course, not the whole way. And then Snape is in a lot, but I mean, that's the thing. When you start stacking all these characters, you do, um, you start missing them a little bit when they're not around. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, you need to have the freshness. I get that. Uh, um, the main trio always sticks around for you, so that's mm-hmm. good. But, but yeah, it is weird when you watch a movie and it's like, hey, there's Maggie Smith. And she just walked out of the frame. Okay, Bye. well, see you later, Maggie Smith. Thanks for showing up for the set today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I like, uh, you were talking about, uh, off mic, how you think this is maybe one of your uh, favorite. I don't Harry know. Potter I probably would say that after every single Harry Potter okay. movie I watch. It is well regarded as one of the favorites. People yeah. like this one a lot. I don't know if it is like the Corona angle of like people knowing that it was made by a guy that would win multiple Oscars later. Maybe that's something to do with it. Maybe it was well reviewed. I don't know. It is well it is one of the well known ones. And I, I or, or more popular ones. I wonder, do you think it's because of the climax being so um, back to the future <laughs> Okay, so, like, I am biased in the way that, like, if there time travel? Yeah. I'm in. I love, I love it. Yeah, so, I mean, part of this, this whole thing is set up with, um, throughout the movie, it seems like Emma Watson, and that's what's weird about this one in particular, this is not, like, uh, a trio, it is very Harry-focused movie for a long time. He's not with the other characters as much in, in this one mm-hmm. for a while. And then it changes because we see these little hints of Emma, um, I keep calling her the actress, but Hermione being in like so many classes and how is she going from one class to the other, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out she's been using this like, what is it called? Like a time... It's like a time watch. A time watch. It's a very familiar artifact in a lot of different, you know... She can essentially rewind herself and go and do two things at once and, and be in two places at once and take all the classes because she just wants to learn as much as possible, right? Nerd. Nerd, but Of course she's a nerd would use a time travel device for that. Um, but then, it, you know, that becomes an important factor. Um, and I, what I like about how it uses it... Um, but we can talk about kind of its shortcomings in a minute because I have... It ties in with my other comments about this movie. But uh, I do like that... They use this, and the way it's set up is that she's ha- always had it from uh, Professor McGonagall, I guess. From her first year. But Dumbledore, like, some shit's happened. You know, they've... Sirius Black that has been... a weird line. Hold on. So she's had it since her first year. I yeah. don't understand why that it, It's probably in, in the there. book, but I don't I don't know if it ever really factored into the movies. Maybe that's why it was seemed odd to us, because we haven't read the books in a while. We have not read the books in a few years. Yeah. But, you know, some, yeah. shit, some shit has gone down. We They realize that Sirius Black is good, but no one else realizes it. They know that Peter Pettigrew, who is a shape-shifting rat, is really the culprit. But they've also, like, the bird, the bird thing that... Uh, Buckbeak. Ha- Buckbeak that Hagrid had has been, has been executed. Uh, for, I don't know, Malfoy reasons, I guess. Malfoy pissed him off, and he almost... And he knocked Malfoy down, and Malfoy's dad's is blah, blah, blah. So shit's gone bad, um, and Dumbledore is like, well, 
you know what? I think I think you might be able to figure that out and just kind of like suggest they go on this little thing. And what I like about it is that um like they don't really know what they're supposed to do. No. <laughs> and they have to kind of figure it out. His clue is basically like come back by this time and oh, when you when you're looking for something, I tend to retrace your steps. You may say yeah, retrace this. Oh, you may save more life than one or whatever. You might end up saving Three life. Three innocent lives maybe or saved. two or whatever, right? And so I like how they have to, I mean, so Hermione knows the rules of what she can do. She knows that she can time travel. She knows that she sh- can't run into herself because that causes can't like that, seen. that back to the future, uh, conundrum, right? So she knows the rules of it and she explains that to, to Harry and kind of us in that regard. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually know what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like how they have to fumble along to figure out how to like essentially, okay, we have to stop. We have to get Buckbeak rescued mm-hmm. because we're going to need Buckbeak to save Sirius Black. Uh, but they don't know that. But they don't time. know that. They're just like trying to f- figure this out as they go along. And I like that. Um, it is, it is a makeup for, uh, in the, I think the second movie, The Chamber of Secrets. There's a long climax with just Ron and Harry because something happens to Hermione where she's out and I always found that to be so disappointing. Yeah. And so now it's Ron who's broken his leg and it's just uh, Hermione and Harry. So it's almost like this makeup uh, thing. And I, I I think it's actually smart for this one because Ron is always like exasperated and like, what are we going to do? Bloody hell. Yeah. Whereas there's too much things going on that that would be like, ah, shut up. We're trying to figure out how this time travel shit works. <laughs> Like, you just need to have him shut up, you know? Like, no, Ron, shut up. Shut the fuck up, Ron. Like, where Hermione can be like, all right, shut up, Harry, listen, we gotta figure this out, and that yeah. works better. Um, so I just really like that construct and how this climax is not, like, an action-packed climax so much as just, like, folding over kind of the last few events, including this lead-up to this encounter with the Dementors where um, they're uh, descending on Sirius Black and Harry and then, like, a Patronus uh, light-up uh, animal ghost thing. <laughs> Which a proper description yeah, uh, comes and essentially scares them all away and allows them to you know not get sucked to their soul life. Yeah, away. and when Harry sees it, he is convinced that it is his dad. Right. Yeah, but it, um, the way it. it works out is that, and it, it actually plays it pretty well because I even when I saw that I couldn't even remember that like oh yeah I knew they were going to do time travel thing. Mm-hmm. But then I was like oh isn't that like Snape's and like because Snape was always kind of helping and maybe that was something we yeah, learned is that later. In this movie. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. But no, apparently he was—he has like a doe Patronus, and that's probably why I got confused, because this is like a deer or something. But anyway, it's not that, but it's, in fact, it was Harry who was doing it to himself, and it's a cool uh, kind of double up uh, on, uh, you know, you get to kind of retrace your steps in that classic Back to the Future uh, way that we all love. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. So I like that there's, that's the climax here. And I also like that, like, Lupin... So the the other thing that gets changed here is that usually the defense against the dark arts teacher is either he was bad in the first movie, then it was Kenneth Branagh who is a fake, a phony, and in this one we know that like we know the fourth year is going to have to have a different dark arts mm-hmm. teacher, right? Well, he's a werewolf and he can't control himself when he's a werewolf, but he's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's actually a pretty good guy, but you know he ends up. It seems there's a, there's a well, I, we'll get into this topic in a minute. Again, I keep teasing it, but. Um, you know, this, there's this confusing idea where at one point we think that, uh, Sirius Black and Lupin are both bad when in fact they do know each other. They are friends, but they are both good. Um, but I like at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where Harry goes and speaks with Lupin and really he's kind of the, he's kind of the, the anchor of this. He's kind of in that the Dumbledore role. Of the movie. 
and is an important character that I, you know, you, you forget about, but is also very consistently good throughout yeah. the, you know, the more movies. Um, he, he, Harry Potter is just like, well, I mean, we, what do we do all this for? Like, we well, yes, Sirius Black got away, and he, we know that he's good, but he's still on the run. He's still Peter Pettigrew. He's bad. He's still loose. Like, what did we do this for? There was no point to this, except for they saved Buckbeak. But really, like, he's just like, well, you never know. Like, we, you know, you did make a difference, and. Maybe we don't know how this works exactly, but but it, 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 all those things do pay off later in the franchise, which I I like the kind of the conversation they have of just being like the act of doing something just because it seemed like you didn't accomplish the you know X Y Z goal doesn't necessarily mean that it was a failure. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. What a good message for the time. Now I will talk about um, the thing that I've always had a hang up on this movie, hmm. and I noticed. And it's not just me because I knew I our nine year old was the only one who was really paying attention and watching it. It jumbled her like crazy. And that is this finally when Sirius Black arrives after they have this tussle with the tree and it there's a very furious expositional sequence in which Harry, Ron, and uh, Hermione discover that Sirius Black is here. They are having a discussion with Lupin, and it sounds like they're going to talk about killing somebody. We got to kill him, kill him now. It's meant to seem like they're about to be killed by these guys, but really they're talking about an unseen person, which is turns out to be Ron's rat, who's a mm-hmm. shape shifting Peter Pettigrew. And I've always felt like, and then Snape shows up to like complicate it even more because we, you know, at this point we think the Snape is like, well, is he good? Is he bad? We don't know. He's kind of a jerk, done like Harry Potter. What are we going to do? Um, but he's there to complicate things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Harry Potter makes a decision to shoot him away because he wants to understand and hear what's going on here. And so you have all this fury of a- a- information and activity. And then it's in the same sequence where we realize that Sirius Black is good and that it was Peter Pettigrew who framed him for all of this. It's just so much in one scene that it just feels like a bum rush and it feels like a tonal, like, whiplash. And I've always felt that way. And I, I, I like, you know, it's fine. I, I, I think it's just a, a little bit of a clunky sequence for how much has to be told. But it, it's, it is foreshadowed when Lupin has the map or Harry Potter says, mentions that Peter Pettigrew's on the map, someone who is dead. And he's like, his face is like, what the fuck? Are yeah. you serious? So it's definitely like, who's this Peter Pettigrew character? And he's probably not what we think he is if he's still fucking alive. So it def- I feel like it gives you a pretty good a little bit. clue. I, I just feel like in a two hour and 20 minute movie, like this scene is probably the most important scene in the movie. It, it could, it, it, could, it could breathe a little bit. We could, yeah. st- we could spend like two, three more minutes with it to just kind of let it breathe and let it get figured out. I, I can see that. I kind of like how rushed it was. Cause but, it's like sometimes in the heat of the moment, you have to figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and you have to like do it fast. But here's my issue. We had to pause the movie to explain what just happened to our nine year old who was very active and following the whole movie. And then all of a sudden it's just like, I have no idea what's going on. That bad guy that showed up is apparently not bad, but like this other guy is here and now there's a rat guy that turns into a human. Like it's so much, right? I mean, yeah. So who's this? Who's the audience for this movie? Well, I mean, she... Right, I think that each... Basically, the age of the of Harry Potter is kind of the age of the, the target uh, reader, right? Target audience. And mm-hmm. so he's definitely older than our daughter. Mm-hmm. So, like, the plot's going to be more complicated. Obviously, the time travel stuff we had to explain to her. Because that's, you know, we don't... That's new to her a little bit, too. Although I'm itching to show her Back to the Future because it's awesome. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just... It, to, 
my same issue is that I just feel like it, it could breathe a little bit. I don't need it over-explained because I don't. I think it's clear. Don't get me wrong. I you, you leave that sequence knowing where everybody's supposed to be and who everybody is and wh- what it means to everybody, right? You understand the relationships. It just feels like Harry Potter being chased by a murderer. Oh, no, he's his godfather. He loves him. Oh, it's so great that Harry Potter has someone who loves him in his life. Yay. Well, he knew he was his godfather before that. Briefly, yes. Yes, I know that that was mentioned, but it just, it is such a shift from, like, Gary Oldman, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Oh, he loves him. It's I, one scene. It's so weird. I just need, but I would like... Mo- the Harry Potter series is is consistently switching good guys to bad guys and bad guys to good guys. It's not so much that. I just think it needs to, it. Let it breathe. Let the actors like have emotions and like like let their brains run through this a little That's bit. That's true. More. I mean, they they do that in about ninety seconds. It's so fast. It yeah. it, it it's played like I mean, a trick. Yeah. I don't need this fake out dialogue of like, okay, we gotta kill him now. We gotta kill him now. It's like. No, his appearance is already, like, it's bad that he's already appeared and we're worried about Sirius Black. Like, that gag's done. Like, let's just focus that time instead on, like, establishing that, you know. Because if you've never seen, if you're the god, if you're a godfather and you're there to, like, be free and actually, like, have a relationship with him and your priority. And I know that he's kind of played, like, kind of crazy or he's going a little bit nutso from this whole thing of being yeah, incarcerated. Like major PTSD. But then, like, your priority, you haven't seen Harry Potter wouldn't your priority be like, okay, hey, listen, you guys are here. No. It's all good. I think your priority is to kill the person who killed your best friends and who framed you for murder. I just think, like, it, but what? which is it? Because he's got PTSD and he's hyper-focused on that, but then, like, that priority seems gone after... And then they don't even care they didn't kill him after that. It's just like, oh, well, I guess he's on the loose again and you're still uh, the guy. <laughs> Whatever. It just seems like this weird transition. It doesn't feel like we've earned that transition from him being, like wanting to kill Peter Pettigrew so badly to being like, well, he got away. Mm." That's not what happened. (laughs) Kind of, though. Kind of. He just kind of lets it go. And it's important for his character, right? I just... Harry convinces him that it's the right thing to do. I want, like... I just want... Just like his father would have. Gary Oldman is so good in... Like, Gary Oldman is kind of known, like, especially before these movies and the Batman movies for being kind of an intense... And he's an intense actor and an intense dude in general. But playing, like bad guys or intense kind of villain guys but here with like Jim Gordon in the Batman movies the Nolan Batman movies and this he's playing this warm pretty great like character that's really important to Harry Potter especially as you move into number five which is a movie that I really like and a story I really like so to me I just like you have this asset you have this opportunity where this is a character where Harry's been longing for any kind of connection and it just feels like it's getting a little bit short shifted yeah. And it is being k- taken away from him, right? I mean, that's the whole point. Harry Potter always loses mm-hmm. people that love him. Mm-hmm. That's the arc of being Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons I really like number five a lot is that there are a couple quiet scenes between Sirius Black and Harry Potter where they do have this relationship, and that's what makes it all the more heartbreaking when it gets stripped away. I just feel like this is the opportunity to better establish that. And rather than spend already two hours and 20 minutes long... Like, give me a little bit more of that before we go off into the time travel adventure. That's all. Yeah. It's just a, and maybe it's a nitpick. I don't know. I still like the movie a lot. It's a nitpick, but I mean, it's, you're val- you've got some valid points there. Give me, I, sometimes I, I like things that slow down a little bit. I, listen, I'm on, I love Quaron's Roma, which is basically a housekeeper cleaning a house for two and a half hours. <laughs> oh my God. People watch that kind of stuff on YouTube, you know. I, <laughs> No, I'm just saying that, like, I, like, I, I, give me the more, give me something quieter. I can handle it. People can handle it. I think our daughter would have appreciated a little bit more understanding of what was happening here. 
think she but, would better connect but with then, him. And then, but to just be like on the other side, I don't want to over explain and I don't want to like, maybe I don't want to sit in this moment that long. But then again, here's the other thing, because you know what movie I also really like in this franchise a lot is uh, Deathly Hallows Part one, mm-hmm. which I thought when they split them in half, I was pissed off. Like a lot of people were like, oh, are you kidding me? We're going to split it up in half. I like, just want to make more money. This movie's not going to be anything. And then they made that movie and it was actually like, it slowed itself down. Like the, because it split, because it, they left the big battle out of the movie, it was able to slow down and be about character for a little mm-hmm. while. And I just really liked, I was just, that was my jam. Like here, oh, Harry and Ron and Hermione are like on the, th- on the near, you know, they're in mortal danger. They're stuck with each other. They're stuck doing a shitty task. And they're kind of like, big, like they're not having a great relationship. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, give me more of this shit. This is good. <laughs> this is some real conflict here. <laughs> I like that. I like those more character quiet moments. And that's mm-hmm. why I like that movie a lot. Um, so yeah, I just, you know. For a movie that has such a big, complex, like, ending that involves time travel and folding over, like, it just seems like, we, I don't know, like, roll with that. Be more, more weird. Me more offbeat. Don't go for the keep it moving attitude. Slow it down. All right. That brings us to our next segment of Tea Time with Tyler. Okay. I just Random. talked a lot. Maybe you should have a tea time. Well, I'm just going to drink my tea, though, because I've been waiting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are you ready? Mm-hmm. This tea time with Tyler is when I fill up my tea with my hot water, and you have to answer something that I just randomly think of and randomly throw at you. Mm-hmm. So, Tyler, I would like you, as quickly as possible, to, in order of favorites, perf- favorite performances in this movie. In this movie, favorite performances in the movie? Yep, starting with the best and then keep going until you can't think of any more characters i mean it's take a breath and go (laughs) alan rickman number one always sorry um gary oldman love him i love uh, keep going everybody no no one's in it for a lot um emma thompson i i love uh then it, uh, Michael Gambon is Dumbledore. I really like that. I I think uh, Daniel Radcliffe is very good in this movie and has really grown as an actor in this one especially. He's got a, a chip on his shoulder, a little bit of a tween attitude I like. Emma Watson, same deal. She's really growing into the part uh, of Hermione. I love what she does with the part as it goes forward. And pause. And worst performances shouldn't, shouldn't even be in the movie. Go. <sighs> um, I don't know. No one's bad in these movies, really. Okay, that's fine. right. No I'm one's bad in these movies. Tell I think everybody's about, really well cast. Tell me about Malfoy. Talk to me about him. Well, he's a shithead, but he's so he's good at playing a shithead. He's so good at playing a shithead. He's got this great moment where Hermione punches him is pretty um pretty fantastic. Pretty fan- oh, that was the other thing. This movie also, and I think maybe a lot of them do. There's a few stylistic choices that I like uh, that you get to live in the world a, a lot. It's having, like, Quidditch, which we've talked about in previous episodes, a nonsense game. It uh, doesn't make any sense. But in this one, they're playing in the rain, a game that se- should be canceled. Like, it is way too stormy for these guys to be riding it's around It's, like, lightning storming. It's outrageous. Like, there's no way that Multiple they would play Multiple kids this. are getting injured. What is this, the NFL? Yeah. Come on. Might as well get... You know what? They could... Even, I bet you if half the teams had COVID, they still would have played that game. That's how negligent yeah, they are. It, there's clearly some betting going on, mm-hmm. some gambling. There's money. In there's dementors game. right on the outskirts, and they clearly like broach the line. Yeah, right? It's, it's a problem. Yeah. But it's a fun sequence. You get to see the wolf in the clouds. Did, uh, that's a yeah. fun little moment that I like. Just kind of little things like that. Just kind of add extra. Yeah. And then there's this like a couple scenes where it's winter time, and so we mm-hmm. get a different location, kind of that different village area. 
that's kind of off the main castle town. where they're interacting in. They like that this this punch that uh, isn't that when the punch happened? No, they have like a snowball fight or something like that. This is all good stuff. Like this, uh, just extra. The punch visual. happens right before Buckbeak's about to get. Killed. Right, right, right. That's right. No, but there's Different. a few other scenes where Mal. Mal- I just think of, I'm thinking of Malfoy coming around. There's a Malfoy scene in the snow um, that I I like, and I, I just oh of. Harry being under the cloak and then like fucking with him and scaring him. Yes, that's right. Um, but I I just like a lot of what this movie is is outside. Where mm-hmm. I feel like those first two movies are like inside the castle, inside the castle, I inside think the I castle. Read something that this was the first one there where they like like filmed outside. Well, that, and that's I mean that's yeah that's they went why to it's Scotland so Scotland and they filmed a bunch of this. That's a huge difference in this. Yeah. I mean everything that's outside in Hagrid's hut, that hillside I talked about. Yeah. The I mean, obviously the Quidditch stuff is not really shot outside, but um, the snow stuff like it just it there's the whole world opens up, and I think that's a really uh, nice touch, and it's a nice expansion not being in the castle. So yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I like it. Harry Potter. Oh yeah, then our daughter. We had to explain <laughs> this time travel stuff like over and over again to kind of help her understand what they're doing. It's like wh- why are they? Because she couldn't get over the person throwing the rock. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then you 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 explained it to her, but you gave her the wrong explanation. So I didn't want to like. Uh, oh, what was it? What did I say? You. you said that they threw the rock to um, get them to to. Why did you say like to look the other way or whatever? Yeah, to look the other way. Right. That is not what they needed to do. They threw the rock so that the kids would look out the window and see that the people were coming and that they needed to get the fuck out of there. Oh yeah. What's the difference? I mean, it's just a detail, <laughs> but I would just... Like I was just a, the idea... Well, I would just like a kudos for not correcting you in front of her. I think so. that that sounds like more like I misspoke. The idea was that, like, they need to look this way. That was why, like, it was the future Harry Potter, uh, or pr- I guess prime Harry and Hermione, throwing a rock to the past uh, Harry and Hermione. But I didn't want to get into that prime dialogue, so I was like, yeah, they're throwing rocks, so they look that way. So yeah. it was. she just was like... Like you, it was so cute though, because she's just kind of she really likes it and yeah. she's watching it. But you can see on her face she's kind of got a grin. She's like, I don't know what's going on. She's like, I'm enjoying this, but I don't quite get it. Why are there two Harrys? <laughs> yeah. So we had to, you know, we paused, and but I think I, she got a better understanding. She wants to watch the next one. So yeah, I feel like it it made it so it was enjoyable for all ages. So she could she could watch it and enjoy it, and we could watch it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And Our three year old watched it when they were like, he was just like, ah, and in time there was like flying or yeah. he liked more of those later ones where they're really shooting their la- their laser with wands around all the time. Yeah, all the fighting laser wands. Yeah, he likes all that stuff. Yeah, although he's funny because like it's like for instance today we were watching an episode of Shark Tank and he had to go to the bathroom. He doesn't. He's three. He has no idea what's going on, yeah. but he like gets up. He's like, "Pause the show. I gotta go pee." And I was like, "You don't even know what's going on in this." He's show. like, "What's going on in the show?" He's just like, "I like it." There's goes, a shark, and he goes, "I like this funny." <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> what's funny? <laughs> He's getting a kick out of the show, Tyler. Well, yeah, I, his favorite part is just seeing the like the, the hallway of the sharks. Yeah, yeah, I told you he wants to get some pet sharks. He wants a pet that. shark. He's gonna bite his bed. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So he gets into Harry Potter. Yeah, he doesn't bit. know what's going on, but you know he likes it for what it is. Yeah. Watch him explain the time travel thing, though. That'd be fun. Yeah. Harry Potter. You know what I should do? You know what I was going to make you do? What was uh, do a segment called Angela Explains It All. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. I want you. Oh, in we're at order. the end of the episode. I know, but I want to do it because it's funny to me. Okay. I, I'm not going to make you do them in order. 
But I want to see if you can name the subtitles of all of the movies. I can. You can? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Do it in order then. Okay. Okay. Harry Potter. Nope. Harry Potter 2. Nope. <laughs> Harry Potter 3. Nope. Harry Potter 4. Nope. Harry Potter 5. Nope. Harry Potter 6. Harry Potter 7 Part 1. Harry Potter 7 Part 2. Okay. That's wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty certain I fucking nailed that. I think so. I can do it. You're such a geek. I think I can do it. Uh, how, I gotta pull up this list first. Harry Potter movies. This is a really terrible Would you segment. Have because me anybody to who's listening this? to a Harry Potter podcast like knows all of it, right? Okay, go. It's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or yes. unless you're in Britain, nope, it's right. the Philosopher's Stone. Go. The Chamber of Secrets is two. Yep. Prisoner of Azkaban. Yep. Goblet of Fire. Yep. Order of the Phoenix. Yep. Half Blood Prince. Yep. Deathly Hallows Part One and Two. Yeah, see, I got it. One, two, three, four. You got five. the two part. Yeah, yeah. I did. So eight movies, you. seven books. All right, guys. What's the name of those uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? What's the name of the sequel to Fantastic Beasts? A movie I don't want to watch. Yeah, I saw. It. It's terrible. Yeah. What's? The, why are those movies bad? Because okay, <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this really briefly. Okay, okay. Not you can't answer with like anything that J.K. Rowling has said in her public life about any controversial topic. Okay, never mind. I don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> you can't use that. Why are, narratively, why are they bad? She struck gold with Harry Potter and she needed to just stay in that fucking lane. And sometimes, as an artist, you got one good thing in you and you got one good story to tell. And she had a whole world and a whole bunch of characters. It's in the same world. It's not, though. It's a prequel. It's It's not. It is. But it's not. It's the same world. She's trying to force it. Dumbledore's in the second one. She's forcing Jude it. Jude Law. What, what, the magic of Harry Potter mm-hmm. is Harry Potter, Hermione, and Ron Weasley. I read the play that was like the future book, and uh-huh. I, I, that's fine. I think that that would make a good movie. Probably at some point. because it had a Harry Potter Jr. and a Hermione it Jr. Did. and a Ron Weasley Jr. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was like a Malfoy Jr. and a exactly. Harry Jr. Yeah, so I I think she she works her storytelling is very successful with the the telling the story from kids and preteens and teenagers. But I think when she lives in adult land, it just it doesn't cross over. She should probably also stay in her lane about and talk she about just shut the fuck else. up and stick to the books. <laughs> All right, well that is our episode of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Think Azkaban. 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 That's a hard word to say. Prisoners with the mentors. Ice guys. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with another old millennial that you know, and we will talk at you another movie. Exfoliosis. Ex... (laughs) Jesus Christ. Is that not right? (laughs) Like they're going to exfoliate? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It works.